Welcome to the Mix Masters Podcast, a program created by me, Steve Litcher, live sound engineer for the band Stitched Up Heart. I created this podcast during the COVID pandemic as a means to keep in contact with my friends and mentors from the live sound industry. Touring with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet some really incredible people, and I wanted to introduce you to their stories. So whether you're an experienced engineer, a hobbyist, or someone who's just wondered what goes into mixing a live music show, this podcast is for you. I've got to thank my friend Merritt Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's an incredible musician and composer. Give him a shout on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin, or on Instagram at Doubt the Trust. Thanks again for joining me. Now let's bring up the faders and start the podcast. Today's episode features Travis Wade, front of house engineer and tour manager for Dance Gavin Dance. I met Travis online and was excited to talk with him and to learn more about his history, his touring experiences, and the work he's doing as a tour logistics manager. We talk in depth about his approach towards mixing and working with Dance Gavin, suicidal tendencies, CKY, and various festivals. We also jump into the weeds talking about the Allen and Heath D Live system, waves rigs, and touring logistics. Travis is entertaining, knowledgeable, fun, and incredibly interesting. I'm confident you'll enjoy this episode. So let's jump in and learn more about Travis Wade. Hey everybody, welcome to Mixmasters Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Litcher. I am joined today by Travis Wade, and Travis is the front of house engineer for Dance, Gavin Dance, works with Suicidal Tendencies, CKY, and he's also got some exciting new ventures that he's working on. Uh, we'll talk about those on the podcast, but first, uh, Travis, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks for being my guest. Thanks for having me. Thanks for bringing me on. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so you are living in Las Vegas these days, uh, nice place to be during the, uh, the COVID pandemic, I'm sure, uh, good weather and, um, looks like you're pretty comfortable at home there. So that's good. Uh, would you mind taking me back to the earliest days of your musical memories? Uh, were you a musician when you started out? What instruments did you play? And, uh, let's go from there. Well, uh, I'm good weather almost we were at 110 degrees last week so thank god it's not going to be that this week uh (laughs) but my musical history i think like everyone who naturally gets involved in music you get involved in music not completely thinking you're going to go into it on a, a technical side as much and some do but you go into it creatively thinking where all you want to do is create uh, I had picked up a guitar real young. I was a guitarist for a long time. I actually went to a performing arts academy here in high, in Vegas for high school, strictly focusing on guitar and classical guitar. Was in bands, thought like, I'm going to be a guitarist. I'm going to be a rock star. Um, but while I was in that high school, we had the ability to kind of go down different alleyways of music. And we were forced to in a lot of ways, uh, one of which was a music technology class where uh, every quarter we spent something new. Uh, first quarter, we started with Finale and like how to notate our music. Second quarter, got into GarageBand and basic recording. Third quarter, got into Reason a lot. Fourth quarter, finally got into Logic and Pro Tools. And during that time, I just really kind of fell in love with the idea of audio, like what it can do, how, like all the different alleyways it can go down, and basically an endless amount of possibilities I had also made an agreement with my parents that I was going to go to college no matter what after high school. And if I was going to do that, I was going to do it for something I wanted to do, which was music. And I had, we had found a 
college up in Northern California, Chico State University, that uh, had a recording arts program that you got a bachelor's degree in, not necessarily a like associates or a certification. And it was a beautiful campus, beautiful location. Everything about it was great. And I had my heart set, got accepted, went up there and started my education. But the first semester, I walked into the local venue and just said, let me do anything. I want to be here. I, I love going to concerts. I was in a band. Let me be here. And I started pushing cases. And uh, when they would cut me for the day as a, just a stage hand, they would let me stay and just watch. And I started watching the monitor engineers, watching the front of house engineers, and actually kind of gaining a lot of interest in the live world. I, I again, fell into, had no idea I wanted to be. Because at that point, I went from like, I'm going to be a rock and roll guitarist. All right. Like, none of my bands are taking off. I'm still in a band, but nothing's working right. And all right, I'm going to be a studio engineer. Well, still in school for it. There's nowhere near Chico that's like a professional recording studio that has major acts come in or any type of professional acts without driving an hour and a half to two hours. And with the full-time school schedule, it wasn't possible. So I kind of discovered this new live world. And I loved the crew at the venue. They got some really cool shows. And I nagged them to literally let me work every fucking show. Um, and especially work it as a loader. Uh, there's not very many people, you know, that are just like, let me push cases. And that, <laughs> that's how I got it. That's how I started. Uh, and I nagged everyone to let me play, teach me when I could, how do I ring out a wedge? How do I listen to a PA? What is this console? What am I doing on it? Uh, until I even got to mix my first show, which was probably fucking horrible. <laughs> I feel really bad for that band. We've all been uh, there. I mean, everyone's got to have a first at something. <laughs> yeah. But it, it with that experience and being there for like a couple months, I convinced a Vegas band because I would come home during the summers to take me on tour. Uh, and it wasn't a big band. It was a band called This Romantic Tragedy. Uh, during the prime MySpace emo scene days where only one eye was exposed, everyone had straight hair, and nothing sounded real. Yeah. So I nagged them. They took me on tour. They took me on a few tours and uh, let me mix them. And what I would hope got better throughout the shows. And I think I did. I was fortunate enough that one of my very first tours was the very first All-Stars tour with Amir and Alisena. It actually had an insane lineup of bands that were very small baby bands that became pretty decent in the scene right after that. Uh, and I got to mix around a couple decently good engineers and watch them and start learning. Ever since then, it has kind of just been a snowball effect. I did not finish school. I am actually two elective credits away from having my actual degree. I walked and everything and I was like, I'm going to finish it next semester. But that next semester never came because I started working at a production company and then immediately started touring full time. Uh, went on my very first warp tour with a Skylet Drive, did multiple warp tours after that. And through that time, met the boys in Dance Gavin Dance and actually met their manager first. Uh, their manager did another band I did on warp tour a lot like Birds, which was an old Dance Gavin Dance singers band. And they just, they liked me. The, a lot like Birds Boys talked really highly about me. Their manager really liked me. It's like, I have a band you can work with, which was dance. They were on a different agency at the time. Kind of just passed me off. And then I got dropped in Dance Gavin Dance Lap. 
loved touring with them quickly did not realize it was going to be my full-time employers for years and some of my best friends and have continued touring with them since basically in the middle of my first tour we had a crew member who was our tm leave due to a family emergency uh, late at night and i got told that night like you're our tour manager (laughs) (laughs) and i kind of learned trial by fire and it's now become my favorite job and juggling the two of them being a tour manager but also having the audio side and getting to mix the shows it suits my ocd and my need to help control things because if I don't get to be in control, especially if it's my tour, I start stressing the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> and this kept going since filling holes when I can started mixing suicidal tendencies a couple of years ago. Uh, they don't really tour tour full time. And when they do, they're very lucrative about it. So like when they go to Europe, they have a guy they love out there who's European based. He mixes them. There's a couple of us out here in America just because it's festivals and stuff. Well, for us to stay front of house engineers full time, we have to tour full time, but work full time. We can't just do two festivals every couple months. Yeah. But love, loved working with those guys, continue working with them, and have also started doing stuff with CKY when they go out, when I can fill holes, and anyone else did a Skylet drive. Like I said, I did Icy Stars for a little bit, uh, picked up two random shows years ago with Glassjaw. Um, and just any time I can honestly get behind a console production company like Alex for a long time, even though I haven't done that for a while. Yeah. Wow. That's uh that's fascinating. There's so much information to parse through and to go, go over. Um, let's jump back to that, that first club that you were working with in Chico and you're mixing monitors. Was that uh, was that a digital console at that time? Analog, uh, what were you, do you remember what that system was or what the club was like, like the capacity and just sort of the nature of the, the club? I absolutely do. And it's almost painful to think back and remember, but I think it's the best way anyone should learn audio, but it's in a true analog way where things aren't fully working. You got to like tap on the channel strip to get things to work, blow out the big old crown uh, amplifiers that if they get too dusty, they start overheating. Uh, the crown iTech, sorry, I can remember what they fucking were. And ring out monitors with a true 32-band graph. I'm trying to get something where it's not too hacked, still sounds great, EQ in the channels where you can. But the biggest part, like I mixed a couple of monitor gigs at that venue where the entire master section would have like half of it missing because it would be out for repair. But, oh, we just don't use those channels. And we just mix 1, 3, 5, 6, 12, 14. Um you have to turn the pots for a while to get them to stop cracking. Uh, but it was an old, like Chico was, is not even a sea market in a big way. It is a college town. Most of the town leaves when the students are gone. So like the summer is not even open for shows. Uh, so it, I mean, it wasn't desired to like have that big of a rig. It had a kick-ass 850 system that no matter how hard you fucking pushed it, there was no way you were going to blow it up. Uh, and I saw a few people try, <laughs> but I mean, the front of house and the monitor consoles are never to be desired. I think it was a Crest X monitor is what we had out there, 48 channel and the XBCA out at front of house had eight compressors, but only six of them ever worked. <laughs> Naturally. Why would they all work? Right. <laughs> you don't need it to work. It's just more for rack space filler. Yeah. 
Uh, blanks are too nice. They make things look adequate. So just throw old gear in there because then it looks like you know what you're doing. If the lights are on, that's all that really matters. I uh, I, I did a show here in Madison at, at a little venue. Well, it's not very little, but uh, they have a ton of old analog gear. And I was, I was going to adjust one of the compressors or gates. It, it may have been a combo unit and it wasn't responding. And I asked the, the house engineer what was going on. And he, he literally said, it's just there because it looks cool. And I was like, <laughs> oh, jeepers, creepers. <laughs> so like, I, I feel the, your pain. It's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's, let's talk a little bit about your DLive rig. Uh, what drew you to the, the DLive? And uh, we'll go from there. Uh, for the longest time, I was a diehard Midas guy. I love me a Midas Pro console. I had my mix figured out on basically every one of them. Uh, and I'm not that big of a plugins user. I like a desk that like everything inside of it can sound as good as possible. And I don't need to go outside the desk when I have to. Um, and I fucking despise a lot of the other desks because of that. Uh, just because you need to dive into the plugin world to make that happen. So being a such a huge Midas user, it was natural to switch over to the DLive when I got on my first one because the pre's have the rich warmness. You can drive them as hard as you want. Um, I kind of not really overly game, but I drive my channels into the red for a lot of the ones that just, it, it naturally sounds good. Something about it, just the Midas broke up naturally in the way I wanted it. And the D live really did too. So I got on it on my first one on a support tour. I begged the front of house engineer to let me throw him some cash for it because uh, the footprints in a lot of the places were not big enough for me to pull a console. And for the first five years of working with dance, I never did. We were console de jour. So I, when I could throw the uh, headlining front of house engineer, some cash, I mixed on it. And I loved it. I didn't want to uh, get off of it. He explained all the features to it and, it took me a bit to uh, dive into a lot of the internal capabilities more than just like, here's the EQ, here's the onboard compression, but really going through the libraries and uh, trying new things. But once I did, I was even more mind blown. You can really do so much on the desk. Uh, the ability to have multi-band compression and a dynamic EQ on each um, multiple channels without having to go into a plugin server is great. It's helped a lot with a lot of my singers and uh, I like, I never really carry a waves rig. It wasn't until recently I started building one out and I'm like, kind of like a lot of people this tour, we have a bunch of stuff that never got to see the light of day so far. And so I was getting into having a little waves rig and having a multi-track rig that I was finally getting to use. that has one rehearsal sessions on it. <laughs> That's more than I've got. So I'm jealous. <laughs> Well, at least you got your rig with you. Mine's all up in Sacramento. I'm in Vegas. They, uh, we thought uh, it's going to be three weeks and we're going to hopefully go back on tour. Like the gear is still packed to go back into a truck. And we're still at that, like to be determined of if our tour is going to get to roll before our postponed dates. What'd you end um, up choosing for a console? Did you go with a 1500 or an S class or what did you uh, go I, with? I got the 1500 just because of the flyability of it. Like that fact that you uh, shout out circle three designs has got that road case that fits it perfectly in the weight marker. TSA looks at you like this motherfucker is about to be really over and you can like laugh at them in the face and be like, ha 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 set it on their scale and they got to take it. It's great. And uh, I don't have to rely on it. I had never taken it on a fly show until I took one to Australia with me last year with dance Gavin. 
And it was a lifesaver because I had a really crappy noise like limit as well as like we would have a crappy noise limit and they'd throw us to the far back of the tent. So you can't even hear the PA anymore. And just being able to like throw it on my iPad, walk up there. I know I'm still controlling it. It's my mix. I already had something to go. No sound checks. It was basically every crappy condition you could be in while still had an amazing crowd and an amazing show. Uh, that was really a big selling point for me with it. And this would have been my first full, full tour with dance on a D-Live. That wasn't a supporting set on someone else's D-Live where I was kind of limited with capabilities. And uh, not taking like I took it on the fly show after I had it out with another band I was out with at the end of the year last year. Yeah. Um, what are you using for a mix rack? Are you on a like a 32 or are you using uh, DX0s or... Uh, I had the, it was the DM 48 for when I was with light the torch at the end of the year last year. Um, I, that console was borrowed from a friend just to shout out Eric. Thanks for hooking me up. Uh, and then this tour, I, like I said, I conned, not really conned, convinced the production company that has been working with me for a long time to buy one, knowing that I was going to be renting a lot. And we had a, a lot of tours touring planned up for 2020. So they got me one with the 32, the CX32 mix rack, just so it fits into a tiny little fly package and I got to take it out. And it had just been built out. It was like brand new. It was like the new console smell and everything. <laughs> There's nothing better. I know people rave about new car smell, but for me, a new console, you can't beat it. It's so fantastic. You don't have any fingerprints on the touch screen yet. Like you have to peel the plastic off. It's great. You don't ever get that. <laughs> no, and I'm I'm so like protective of the console. Uh, I my goal is to never have an error message in the log, so I make sure that I always you know do the proper power down before I turn off the power because that'll set a an error message. And when I had a D Live in the past, I bought it used uh, as a demo from my dealer, and it had so many errors in the log from like classes, and they were shutting it off improperly, or you know Dante wasn't connected, or the gig ace wasn't connected, and it would throw an error. And I'm looking at my console right now and it's, it's error free and I'm, I just want to keep it that way. I'm like the protective helicopter mom. So in two years, if it stays error free, I think we need to have a sound guy just like celebration. Hopefully it's not on a zoom call. We could like actually meet somewhere Yeah, and just like the D live that survived it all. And then we'll just give it an error just for the heck of it. So do you make the venues always run your snake, never use guest cat like I do? I learned the hard way with that. Like the one time I was like, yeah, I'll, I, I could trust your line. Let's save some work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, on the last tour I did was stitched. I, I did bring my own um, cat cat cable because the Midas M32 is really picky about the, the quality and the length of the cable. And the one time I let the venue use their snake, it was nothing but trouble, uh, and so I was like, "Never again." It's it takes twenty minutes to run this Cat Six, but you know it's going to be better and and less likely to cause errors. So I'm going to do the same thing when we go back out with the D Live. Although I don't think it's as sensitive as the Midas is to to cabling. Correct. Actually, it the only time I had a loss was honestly with a Midas. I had a Pro Two with Dance and my AAES line went out and I conveniently had three quarters of the band in the, that channel bank. Uh, so I lost audio for a good like five seconds. Then it kicked back on there on out. I was like, Nope, 
Never again. Never using venue cat anything. I love you. Trust you guys, but I don't. (laughs) What surprises me too is I've been a local sound engineer pretty much the majority of my career, 30 years uh, doing regional Midwestern type events. And so I go on this North American tour with Stitched Up Heart and we're playing these House of Blues and these bigger theaters and stuff. And I'm, I'm just like besides myself because the crews are so fantastic and the PAs for the most part are just outstanding and the rooms are great. And then they hand me a Cat 5K, the house Cat 5 cable and it's this super tired Office Depot, you know, consumer grade, the boots, you know, half torn off of it. And I'm like, really? Come on, guys. Like you got all this great stuff and then you the most critical piece of equipment, the cat five cable you spent a nickel on. And it's the best part is when they uh, gaff tape it to the wall to hold it up for a little bit. And they just like rip the tape off. And like, here you go. Yeah. Oh, I saw no. that. <laughs> I, I heard on one of your last episode, I think it was the round table when they were talking about the cat fives in uh, the rack, not even realizing that. Yeah. And I never even thought of that. And now my next tour, I'm going to be ripping apart all of my fucking racks to make sure like, it's at least decent cable in there. And I'm not going to have a similar situation because I would have been like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you have some of those moments and it is, uh, we definitely have to share beverages uh, and war stories uh, when we get out of this quarantine. Um, so you said you're starting to integrate waves with your D live. What are, what are you looking to do with waves and how are you tying that in? Um, mostly I really wanted to just be able to use the C six on Tillion. That was literally the whole center around it. Nothing against the dynamic EQ, but I wanted something that was a little more transferable to license from different platforms. When I do have to get back to fly shows or console du jour. Um, but that was like that was my goal. I'd always been a not that big of a plug-in user guy. Uh, one of the guys who I worked with back in that helped train me when I worked at a production shop was Kenny Kaiser, who does the Killers, and he like has this whole motto: I want him to brand it, and make it a T-shirt that says "Fuck your plugins," and he wants his console to just sound good from the get-go. Uh, naturally, he's with a band that has a budget enough to be able to pull who whatever he wants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I have always wanted that. Uh, I do a lot of like a lot of grouping, a lot of parallel bus compression, and I want to stay internally with it. And the fact that the D Live, I got to stay internally with it. I wasn't going out of the box, dealing with that in there and coming back in the box. And I mean, I I, w- I am not in a place where I was ever able to be like, this is my dedicated Waves computer. Like my Waves computer would also have to partially be a life computer especially being a tour manager and the fact that I'm on my computer so much uh, that I have always never quite trusted that. And the last thing I want is for it to go down. So I was just starting to dive down that waves rabbit hole. Uh, and that's how I was also going to do my multi-tracking. Um, I was going to be actually using one of the band members computers for that. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned parallel compression and you're doing that in the D live. Are you using the on channel parallel like the the wet dry mix uh option or are you actually setting up two different groups and squashing one and letting one go through cleaner how are you handling that side of things i'm actually doing two different groups squashing one letting one go through clean and just kind of writing it to taste per day some days uh especially with how good that console sounds in some venues you get in you're like holy fucking pa i actually will back off on some of my parallel compression because it's just too fucking much uh 
And so I like the ability to just mix it in as I see fit. Uh, for a very small channel count, I use up every layer and all this, every sorts of the board as I can just because I want to be able to mix it in by feel and by touch as more so than automation. I use zero snapshots, zero like s- scenes other than just my show per night. Wow. And I mix it by feel pretty much every night because the nature of my client, my biggest client, Dance Gavin Dance, is they're some of the most talented musicians I've ever worked with. Everything on stage is 100% real. Our uh, playback track is an iPad with a Y cable coming out. One side's click and one side's my tracks. And it's literally only for interludes. Uh, they have some amazing guitar tones, amazing drum tones, amazing bass tones. Uh, the vocalist is insanely solid that I don't really have to do much. and. I get to mix it by feel for how they're playing for the night. Like, Dan, it's a great crowd. They're really getting into it and the energy's there. I get to mix it a little bit differently than if like we're opening up a festival and everyone's kind of scattered in the back. No one's really heard of us or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, I haven't looked at their, at their gigs in a bit, but uh, what are they doing for backline? Are they, are they using profilers? Are they using, uh, cabinets or what type of stage volume do you have to deal with loud as fuck uh <laughs> they are all amps on stage matt has a nice five pcw kit will plays well this tour he had switched over to friedman uh he has the friedman it's a 58 watt i can't remember it with a old marshall vintage like cr- with creamback speaker 412 andrew who's a touring guitarist he has a friedman brown eye going through another vintage Marshall. Tim has two Ampeg SVT Heritage VR reissues with an insane pedal board and an Avalon DI that we go through. My Avalon DI is uh, just my direct signal. I'll put a mic on the cab as well. I've switched. I had an SM7D on there for a little bit. Uh, I'm a huge Telefunken guy. They've taken care of me very well. Shout out, Connor. And recently, I've been putting an M82 on there and really like my results. And uh, he has a crazy pedal board too, so I'll take it direct out of his B7K and mix that in as I see fit. Oh, that's cool. Uh, uh, oh, go! I didn't mean to step on you. Oh, go ahead. That okay. Was <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. So I did see. I, I've read a couple of articles, uh, and I was really fascinated about your Telefunken M80s that you're using uh, for vocals. Can you talk about those a little bit? Like, how are they with noise rejection and dynamics and proximity? Um, you know, mic technique, are you, is that like your favorite capsule right now? Or, or, uh, just talk a little bit about that if you don't mind. It is one of my favorite capsules. Uh, and on top of that, it's one of the companies that has had the best artist support that I have ever worked with on a gear side. Uh, our lead singer is a very studio focused singer, studio forward singer. And especially in his ears, he likes to hear a, a condenser studio sound. He is super on top of his vocal technique, his microphone technique, that we wanted something a little bit more open for him. And we got approached by Telefunken. They offered us to use some mics for a little bit, and we all loved the results. And that's one of the things I love about Telefunken is instead of pushing mics on everything kind of is for a demo, they're welcome to demoing a lot of their live mics engineers who are interested because they believe in their product and in turn, it's easier to sell their product, not to just make this a telephone and PR pitch. It's all uh, good. But Dillian sounded phenomenal. Uh, downfall is it is not, a, it 
is not a real quiet microphone. It is super hot. gets a lot of noise. Uh, you can hear Tillian walk in front of the drums when he gets too close to the drummer and walk in front of the amps when he gets too close to the guitarist. Fortunately, he stays downstage pretty well, but it, it's kind of added a different live element. Uh, and I will, I'll EQ it out. That's a big reason why I got the C4. I wanted to switch to a C4 and a C6 on Waves and so I could put it on anything else because it does help with controlling the hotness of the mic without overbearing, like overhacking it. Uh, and then I had tried a lot of their other stuff on another back line. I didn't realize how much that mic also kicks ass on fucking snare. Uh, one of the cooler snare mics I'd ever had blends the 81s blend really well with guitars. I do a 57 81 combo uh, and hard pan them for each guitar. Yeah. It just makes them sound super full, but gives it a little bit of like a, punchier tone combined with the 57 sure so they work well and they uh they're a great company they've been since taking care of the band and have, whenever we need support we have a capsule or anything go down they'll have a new one out to us the next day yeah when you're on the road uh nothing beats good support i managed to lose so much stuff on tour and my local uh supplier full compass took really good care of me uh I had to pay for everything, but at least it would get shipped, you know, like overnight and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that Telefunken does take care of you guys and a, they have really great products, but then having great support is almost as important as having good products. It absolutely is. And to the point that I have bugged Connor, the rep so much that we've become real good, just life friends. He's one of the people I call every couple of weeks to say, Hey bud, how you doing? Making sure everything's all good. Uh, and he does the same for me. And I know we've both brought each other a lot of business as well, which is uh, never a bad thing. <laughs> I will call him after this because I'm looking for some uh, different drum mics for Decker's kit, and I want to try some M80s uh, on there, M81s. Um, so I will talk to you after the podcast and get his info. Absolutely. Cool. Um, so let's jump back into Waves for a second, if you don't mind. Uh, when you were mentioning uh, the vocal mic being hot, have you looked into using the primary source expander at all from Waves? I have not. I had some friends tell me to look into that, and that was actually on my plans to try during one of the sound checks. Uh, we were literally like halfway through Hollywood Palladium's load-in in our truck when the general manager tapped me on the shoulder and just did this. Oh, no. And so I, I was wanting to dive more into it, and that is still actually a plan. Whenever I do my next rehearsals, I'm going to try to dive a little bit more. So primary source expand. I'm actually going to see yeah. how that goes. PSE. Yeah, I swore... Like you, I hate sending stuff out of my desk. And when I went back to the DLive, I was like, I'm never going to need a Waves rig. I'm going to sell all my Waves gear. I sold it all. And then I started talking to Drew, and I started talking to Pooch, and I started talking to other guys that are using Waves. And I called Full Compass, and I was like, uh, we got to order some. We got to order a server and some plugins again. <laughs> and they're like, didn't you just buy this stuff in December, or in last fall? And I had to, you know, tuck my tail between my legs and tell them the story. So. Yeah. Well, like if you had an M32 rig, that the Wave server makes that desk light years better and more has a lot more capabilities. Yeah. Yeah. Now you've upgraded. I would have done the same right away and they've been like, shit, <laughs> you wouldn't have been alone. <laughs> All right. Misery loves company. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and then it's funny too, talking about the, uh, the, the guy that had the, uh, fuck your plugins t-shirt 
I know Drew Thornton has a uh, has two scenes on his board. One is fuck waves, and one is love waves. And so, when waves is working, he's got the love waves scene engaged. But if the server ever crashes, he's got this dump, and it's and it's titled fuck waves, and he and it's labeled and everything on his board. I cracked up when I saw it. I was I was like, that is fantastic. But uh, if you're if you're doing stuff with your D Live, you might want to build a scene that just has everything routed, you know, not through the the waves inserts, just in case. Uh, That's actually the best labeling I've ever heard for a scene like that. That you should trademark that, Drew, because it's going to be a whole new thing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Bumper stickers, co- uh, koozies, coffee mugs. Yeah, we'll we'll get him on that. um so we've talked about dance gavin dance but you've also worked with a couple of other awesome bands and you've talked about them real briefly but um you want to talk a little bit about like cky or suicidal tendencies and sort of some of your experiences doing front of house for those guys uh yeah uh got matched up with cky on warped it was their first tour back in america as a band as a three-piece they broke up i want to say like 2010 or 11 for a while Decided to get back together. We did Warp 2017 and quickly actually became some fucking great friends and they're great guys. And I had always admired that tone. You know, everyone knows that fucking one. But um, and I had always wanted to mix that tone. Not only was it super fun to mix, but they were great guys. And on a condition like Warp Tour, where my very first show with them, you don't get a sound check on Warp and anything other than cans. I had never met the band before. I had never like knew I, I had a really bad backline written out because they had just started touring again as a band they were still kind of figuring out a lot of things and it ended up being one of the fucking coolest things i I had no idea the personalities that i was getting into and everything else and continued to do them for a couple tours met a couple of my really good friends uh shout out frank finelli who is now doing the for the nomads fundraiser which is helping benefit a lot of the crew that has lost wages currently has an auction going with some of the cky members uh they he was their tour manager at the time and it was a great fucking tour all of a sudden it transitioned into where i ended up being a tm front of house for them for a little bit did the hymn farewell tour with them uh got to do my whole first tour on an s6l which had one of my biggest nightmares of a show ever was between my cky set and him set their console crashed and stopped passing audio but was on Oh man. And we restarted it three times before it finally started passing audio. Their crew is also from Finland. So their English isn't very like strong. So that was the first time I'd ever heard someone like yelling cuss words in Finnish. One of the best things I'd ever seen, but it was a nightmare when we finally got it on. I just stood there with them and we had a profile back that loaded the venue's profile loaded with a, their backup scene on it. So worst case, he just jumped over and they had worked something out with like, there was a third leg of that split. They quickly patched into the venue like snake. So the channels were showing up there. Wow. Uh, their SXL made it through the show, but anyways, <laughs> the, that was the first tour. I had CKY on an in-ear rig that they had never used before when they had primary toured, like in-ear monitors were not a thing. They wanted five wedges in front of every member and as loud as possible. Uh, but we got them an in-ear rig, helped build them a little bit of a playback rig so they can have more of the studio sound. Uh, and then when I do suicidal tendencies, it's almost always console of the day. They're as punk rock as punk rock can get. 
And it's mostly festivals. It's a lot of situations where I don't get a sound check. And when I do get a sound check, it's the coolest jam of all fucking time. Uh, it's such an all-star lineup. The biggest drum kit I ever set up. And one time, though, it was the very first show with him. He only set up all the toms. But I had like 15 or 16 channel drum kit page. It's Dave Lombardo. Fucking. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Uh, it's just fun because those are the shows where like with dance, not that there is no crowd interaction, but they're like, they don't invite people up. No one is really chaotic. When I do suicidal tendencies, everything needs to be borderline like bolted to the stage or to whatever it's being held on. Cause Ben's jumping off things nine times out of 10, Mike's going to invite half the crowd on stage to circle pit with him. And uh, it adds its own new chaotic element. I had riot police show up at front of house one time demanding to turn off the console or I was going to get arrested. Oh man. Uh, free show in LA uh the punks got crazy wow those are my my favorite like whole filler bands that I've had and uh, I still work with CKY and talk to them when I can uh because dance has become the monster that they have doing anything else outside of them has been a little harder and then now that I I've been their tour manager for so long I've been working with their management agency and starting to help with some of their other bands that they uh they represent and handling just touring and logistics for them. Can you talk a little bit about the experience of getting uh, CKY on in-ears? Uh, what was the rig that you built for them? What were some of the challenges you had and, you know, how did they adapt to it? They actually adapted very well. And when we were on warp tour, they were on still doing the wedges and it was the old rat L wedges. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They're like, the weight of three humans and very loud. They could take a beating, but it wasn't giving Chad the sound. And Chad's a very talented sound engineer, very talented musician that he knew what he wanted to hear. And we just weren't accomplishing it. And he had a little in-ear transmitter that we ended up trying with their monitor engineer on warp tour. And he would start mixing things and we started having some success. So we, talk to them right then and there kind of on the tour and like, let's build a little X32 rig, get you X32 rack with a 16 snake, couple of transmitters. And then we also got a uh, eight channel interface. I believe it was just the Behringer UE something kind of cheap and easy. And then everyone's favorite split in the world, a seismic audio where you're going to lose half the channels by the end of a tour. Um, but it was the first, try into it i flew out like a week and a half before tour uh to bam's house where the band was rehearsing and we started dialing it in i helped mix some of the playback and this is where the synths are gonna go this is because like i didn't realize until i worked with the band how much outside of just guitar bass and drums there was a cky there's a lot of synth and a lot of like filler sound that makes it so huge well we got to mix it that way and get it all good and set it up where they got to mix it on their phones, which I think is, I'm coming to realize that it, would, it used to be my best friend, but now it can potentially be my worst enemy because three quarters of the tour, everyone's mixes themselves into a hole. And sometimes you have to go back a couple shows. And they were actually one of the first bands that would realize that themselves. And I would, I always admired Chad that he wanted to load a couple shows back because he would remember this was a really good show. And I want to try again from here. Yeah. Or uh, they're mixing each other's ears by accident. Like they're on the wrong send. And all of a sudden, you know, bass player is like, why do I have so much vocal in my in my ears? And you realize that they're mixing each other's channels. 100%. I got to the, uh, I had a very 
couple kick-ass drum techs that could work their way around an iPad really well. And so it got to a point where I was like, you control the volume. Chad can do his mix. You can control everyone else's mix. And it was a nice, happy medium. Jess is the easiest drummer of all time. Like he doesn't, he's going to make it work and he's going to stay on groove. If he has click and he can semi here, he's going to fucking be there. And he's like just a fucking trooper. And then uh, Matt Dice, who was their bassist at the time, is very much the same way. As long as he can hear himself and click, he's going to be there. <laughs> yeah. It's uh that blew my mind and and people have heard me mention this on the podcast before and I apologize for repeating this but like Decker the drummer from Stitched Apart the only thing he has in his ears is click nothing else and Stitched uses all profiling amps so there's no stage volume for him to listen to and I looked I asked him how do you play to just click and he looked at me without even blinking an eye and he goes do you have any idea how many times I've played these songs? Like I hear him in my sleep. And so he just gets behind the kit and goes on autopilot. I, I don't know how he does it, but it's, it's amazing. So it's cool that uh, Jess is like that, that he, if he's got click, he's good to go and, and can make it all work. And that's how even Matt from dances, Matt's click, kick and snare. God, I don't get it. If the rooms get bigger, he'll sometimes add little things, but I, and I, I think it's the same thing as what you said with Decker. If you play these songs every night for sometimes 300 nights a year, you should have them down yeah. and you should be able to play them without anything. And while it does kind of sometimes take away the live feel for what some bands will say, to me, it just makes you sound tighter than ever when everyone's locked into that. It's so fucking big. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then one thing I was going to mention, if you haven't checked it out yet, with the DLive, the custom control application uh, for mixing in-ears, um, you can build a custom interface for each person that has only the faders that they should be able to adjust in their ears, and you can give them gain control, pan control, mute, and then a fader, and it can run on their phone, it can run on their iPad, and it's all click-and-drag uh, construction. So one of the things I did for Stitched Up Heart, which I didn't get to do because our tour got canceled this spring, was I built each of them their own mix application. So like Decker can log in and all he's got is click. And Mixie can log into her phone and then she's got what she wants in her ears. And if she's you know cranking something up, there's no chance it's going to impact anybody else because all she is doing is impacting her mix. And it's a free app from Alan and Heath. Um, there's a couple of tutorials. So check that out if you get a chance because it's pretty cool that's awesome and i i'm waiting for the day i can switch most of my guys over to a d live for our monitor system uh midas listen to that idea let's let's integrate it for my current system <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah the d live i just take i do digital splits off of my cdm 32 <coughs> so the mix rack you know if channel one is kick one one's uh, send goes to front of house and then one is available for the monitors. Uh, and so then people can go from there and adjust accordingly. So we don't have to deal with that, that infamous seismic split snake or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, I love the digital splits with, with D live. It's pretty cool. I'm going to actually look into that. Uh, unfortunately, at least with now with dance, we have a very kick-ass monitor engineer and assistant tour manager who comes out. We have our own little M32 console we take with us that the band owns, and then I rent my front of house system. Uh, just because I've always hated gain sharing, and until more recently, it started feeling a little bit more stable to me. For the longest time, I never just fucking trusted it. 
And I, I had done that a few times, but my channel count with dance was getting so big that at least on the, the Behringer Midas systems I was on, I wasn't able to split it as well as I hoped. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's always a limitation, uh, but Alan and Heath has done a really good job and has sort of managed to, to get it really usable, even with higher channel counts. So, but yeah, if you've got an M32, then you're, you're good on the, the monitor side. Um, so you've mentioned you're doing, uh, you do tour management as well, but I also think you've got, uh, like a management company that you're starting to put together and, and building a list of artists that you work with. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, back in July, I got a call from Derek Brewer, who's dance Gavin dances manager. And we had worked together for a long time. He had a company called Manifest Group that has, had, has quite a wide roster all the way from Crown the Empire, Palais Royale, Dying Fetus, Volumes, Vela Maya, uh, and the list goes on and on. And he needed help with touring logistics. There were so many bands and all of his bands were actively out and touring that with a small company, naturally, you need more help as you grow. And me and him have always gotten along. Me and everyone else in that company have always gotten along. He asked if I wanted to come on board and do touring logistics part-time, but still also get to tour when I want to tour. Uh, that has been busy, busy, busy. We were ramping up to a big year. And in March, right before all of this, he called me and let me know he was working on a deal with another company that subsequently went through. And now I work for called Shelter Music Group. Uh, it is founded by Dino Padares and Carl Stubner, who Carl works with ZZ Top and Fleetwood Mac. Dino's with a perfect circle, Pussifer, Neverly Boys, uh, Greg Cucciano, his new project, and then a killer roster of a bunch of other clients, artists, managers, designers, uh, quite a huge in-house roster of pretty much powerhouses. And so in the transition of COVID and the touring world closing but at the same time this transition happening of us being part with shelter uh i got placed in a position where i either have to like step up or ship out the way i feel it not that they put me in that position uh and i started kind of stepping up and helping out with some new ideas uh, we're really working on a couple like live stream elements and how we're going to do it and uh, really making it translate the best way for a lot of their clients. Uh, and then a couple other projects that unfortunately can't get too into. But with the intention of when touring comes back, I'm going to be jumping in as one of the couple touring logistics guys for all of their clients, working on a quite the roster of bands. Uh, I think we're currently over 40 bands, all of which who are going to be doing tours from two to 300 cap rooms all the way up to arenas and stadiums. Wow. That's a, that's, that's awesome. It sounds like a great way to bring a lot of people together. What are some of your responsibilities in that touring logistics role? Like what are you doing? What will you be doing on a day-to-day -day basis or what would you be doing if we weren't locked up right now? Uh, I would be making sure that the tours get on the road. Basically when the managers and the booking agents make say yes to the tours, uh, I'm going to find a way to help execute them. Steve who works at the company puts it very well that like, uh, the managers and the agents should confirm the tours. We're going to get the tours there. Uh, so I'll start outsourcing or working with the band's current crews. Anytime I need to fill holes, I'll be hiring people. I'll help find buses and bandwagons. I'll help us figure out productions, how we're going to do productions, budgeting out productions, budgeting out the tours, uh, making sure that everything is communicated all the way through. And I mean, 
getting everyone out on the road. We were starting off this year. We had one client, Palais Royale, who was out in Europe when this canceled. They're like three quarters of the way through their tour. That was my first big one of the year. That then we it changed overnight. Uh, with Dance Gavin, I, my touring logistics job is basically still my job with them. <laughs> and I'll be making sure a lot of just the ins and outs of making a tour happen happen while coordinating with the tour manager because tour managers are, sometimes don't know the clients they're coming into, especially first time you're wanting a lot. You should want a tour manager to feel comfortable coming in with a client. And sometimes it's not as possible to have meetings or anything else before. So I'll help aid in that transition where I'll get to know these clients quite well and know their needs and ins and outs. And especially with bringing in new crews, communicate this is what you're expecting this is what we're expecting this is what life's going to be on the road with them uh is everyone going to be in bed before bus call is everyone going to be out at bus call stuff like that if you find a way to get the band members to all uh coordinate their travel stop uh timing let me know <laughs> because that was the biggest surprise for me touring was uh We'd pull into a truck stop, you know, gas up the bus, take care of everything that the bus had to have taken care of. You know, it's it's in master tour that we're going to be stopping. We're going to be there for 45 minutes. And then at about the 43rd minute, somebody would crawl out of their bunk and go, oh, are we stopped? Hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Uh, I'm going to get some food. And I was just like, oh, guys, you're killing me. I've been very fortunate with bus drivers who have all been uberly chill because I don't think I've ever worked with a band that can just, it's like we're all on the same page. But we've had stops where everyone's on the same page. Everyone is up, especially like those early bus call days where everyone just wants to go to a pilot. Like, all right, we got a long drive. We're going to be leaving the venue early, but let's try to hit a pilot in like first 30 minutes or something like that. Uh, master tour has been a fucking game changer since I've been using that in the last couple of years. And I think, uh, some of my bands will agree. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's such a great application. Uh, I never knew it existed until I got involved in touring. And I also didn't know like that loves and pilot and flying J all had these applications and those things are lifesavers because if you're going down the road and you're like, Oh crud, our waste tank is getting full. You know, we've got to make an unscheduled stop. Those apps tell you like which gas stations have what amenities and if they're open and all that good stuff so yeah who who knew trucker path <laughs> trucker path that, that's my move yeah yeah <laughs> uh yeah i'll just say i'll give a quick plug to trucker path too because uh when you're driving a tour bus or a bandwagon or something like that the height becomes an issue in a lot of places like try going through boston in a in a tour bus where there's all these low bridges from like the 1700s 1800s uh, if you're in a tour bus and it's 14 and a half feet tall and you come to a bridge that's only 11 feet tall, uh, it's not easy to usually turn around. So trucker path helps you avoid those type of situations. So that was a great, great reminder. Thanks for bringing up trucker path. Especially in bandwagons, because like I always love buses and the fact that the drivers are commercial drivers, but because bandwagons are that big gray area of it's an RV, you just got to be over 25. Uh, there's a lot of people I feel who don't understand like the height and size and turning radius. And I've had some nightmares I've been in and heard nightmares of people in bandwagons. Uh, one, my very first warp tour, one bandwagon pulled up, the entire roof was missing. And apparently he went through one of those bridges, not paying attention to his height, 
And I can't even imagine being in that top bunk and being like, I now have a skylight. <laughs> what was even better is I'm pretty sure I, that driver was definitely fired, but bandwagon sent a new bandwagon out to that band. Oh my God. And it wasn't even like, we're just done renting to you guys. You're, you're done. They're just like, well, we'll take the old shitty one back and rebuild it. And here's a new one. As long as you guys keep paying, we're going to keep sending you vehicles, which naturally, I mean, it wasn't the band's fault. They were asleep, but I would at least been like, all right, you've lost your driver picking privileges. <laughs> yeah. No buddies. You can't, you can't get your buddy who uh, owns a GPS to drive anymore. And especially like people on warp tour. And I, I don't like, I, I have zero idea who that band was for all I know. It, it could have been tag teaming band. Like I knew band members had helped drive driven bandwagons before. I, I mean, there's been multiple times I've been in a bandwagon with a band where we just have a long drive and we'd rather get to a location as opposed to having a shitty day off somewhere. So I'll tell the driver like, all right, you're going to drive till 8am and then I'm going to get in because I'm over 25 and I can know how to drive these things. And I'm going to take it for like eight hours and you're going to sleep and then we'll switch back again. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's so many like logistical things and that's, what's really cool about what you're doing as a, a tour logistics manager and also being a TM, um, all the stuff that people don't think about. So, you know, yeah, you have a driver, but that driver can only drive for so long and you've got to schedule sleep time and you've got to have a place for them to sleep. A lot of the bigger tours, they'll, as soon as the bus pulls into the venue, an Uber will be waiting there to take the driver to a hotel and you won't see the driver until, you know, it's time to hit the road again. There's trying to keep that driver rested and comfortable and, and safe and all of that stuff is so critical. Um, have you found anything else like that in your, in your duties as TM or, doing logistics that have sort of been surprising to you? Um, well, I mean, the first big tour I ever did, I had no idea that everything with a team, you're just the go guy. You are the go-to guy I, with good or bad. You're the first person to be made aware of it, uh, which isn't a bad thing. I, I really enjoy that because then I get to have my hands on with everything like the, having your driver, ready to get to bed when he needs to get to bed. However, some drivers don't and knowing your driver to the way, cause the last thing you ever want to do is piss off your driver. To me as a TM, that is the one person you absolutely need to have on your side. Cause the nights where you do need to buy an extra hour, have some extra time either at bus call, like fuck, we had five stage hands not show up to our loadout and my crew is only loading the gear by themselves. Uh, I'm screaming at the promoter right now, but we're going to be late. I'm sorry, having a bus driver on your side is a good thing. And granted, that hardly ever happens in that situation. But even just like, hey, we're at a hometown, band all went home for a little bit. We'd like to stay here till four instead of two or something like that. You you really want to have the bus driver on your side. Uh, and if they don't want to go to bed, the last thing you want to do is when they get there, be like, all right, get the fuck off my bus and go to your hotel. Uh, I usually try to make sure they understand that the bus is they're home too while we're on tour like as long as they do their responsibilities it gets cleaned when it needs to get cleaned it's picked up in the mornings and stuff like that if they want to sit there and have a cup of coffee before going to the hotel if they want to sit there and go get food it, no issue and especially now that live nation and aeg has made it very much a thing that runners can't carry people for insurance reasons I, i'm uber in anyways i just i tell them to put my uber on my card on their Uber account and screenshot me the receipts every time it comes in. So I can just log it that way. 
they can go at their own schedule. Half the time, they won't even fucking tell me they're going. They'll, just, they'll shoot me a text like, bye, let me know if something goes wrong, which is great. And I love it that way because I get so involved and so hands-on with everything with my tour that I don't want to have to go up to them and be like, it's 2 o'clock, you need to be leaving now. And I've only been in that position a few times of ever having to do it or being with like a bus company that is – we're really trying to budget it. That bus company is not a great company. I don't have the best of drivers. Uh, I don't want to deal with that. So if I can, I try to be on my driver's good side and work well with them. And I will work with only a few specific companies that I get along with granted budget provided. Yeah. Yeah. It's shocking how expensive buses are uh, as well. <laughs> Nothing in this industry is cheap. So to put it that way. It's not cheap, but then I, I didn't even I, – when I went from a van to a bandwagon for the first time, I was like, holy shit, I'll never tour in a van again. I love this. This is the epitome of comfort. And now I get in a – I went from bandwagon to buses. I'm so used to buses when I go back to a bandwagon. I'm like, how did I sleep on these bumps? And I'm like rocking and bouncing up and down the road. Uh, and so I realized why these bands pay for more. And then especially with the bigger bands that like this is the band bus, this is the crew bus, and even more so uh, – when you get older, your body can't enjoy it as much. And to be able to perform to the level band and crew wise, you have to be able to live semi comfortably. You have to be able to get an okay sleep when you are sleeping, whether it's four hours or eight hours, you have like, it's just necessities or else the tour will crumble. Yeah. Whether it's just the merch person to the singer. Yeah. Uh, it's an excellent point. Um, while we're nearing an hour, and I try to like to keep these at an hour, but the time flew by. Uh, any parting words of advice or thoughts before we uh, call it good here? I just keep doing it, I, especially during the coronavirus pandemic and everything. As much as you can put yourself out there to be active, be learning new stuff, be talking to more people, that's what this time needs. This is a time of learning and gathering information. So get out there and be active. And on top of being active, actually be active. We, especially our touring community, is now most of us at home for the first time, sometimes over a decade. The last thing we need to do is to anticipate being home for so long by actually forcing ourselves to be home so long. So learn new stuff with gear, learn new stuff with touring, but also learn new hobbies and activities at home. Uh, for me, I started woodworking, had no idea I was going to love it as much as I do. And honestly, would probably have never started it if I wasn't forced to stay home for a little while. Uh, so keep saying, let's learn a lot and let's get ready for an insane comeback. That's well said. Yeah. And I've talked a lot to people who have commented very similarly that if you don't come out of this pandemic smarter or with an additional set of skills, uh, you've really let yourself down. So I'm glad that you echo those sentiments and uh, feel the same way because I, th I think it is really critical. So thanks for uh, reinforcing that. No problem. Got to shape up or ship out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Well, take care. Stay safe. Thanks for being a guest. And I hope to talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Can't wait to talk again. And that's a wrap on today's show. I hope that you found it equal parts entertaining and informative. This show is recorded on an Allen & Heath D-Live system with Shure microphones and Waves tracks live. I use Skype, 
FaceTime and Facebook Messenger to meet with my guests, so the occasional robot voice is to be expected. Thanks again to Merrick Goodwin for the awesome show music and to you for listening. Be sure to visit the Mixmasters website at www.mixmasterspodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Mixmasters can also be found on Facebook and Instagram at Mixmasters Podcast. That's all one word. Give a like, follow us, and never miss out on new episodes. 